little nerds and nerdettes. Junior ambassadors, boys and girls of all ages. We're nerds and uh, we're pretty proud of it. You're entering the Nerd United Nations podcast. Never apologize for being nerdy. All things geek are up for grabs. Because unnerdy people never apologize for being assholes. Now, here's your ambassadors, Melissa Nicholson and Jared Boots. Even a man who is nerdy at heart and watches his horror movies by night may become a podcaster when the geekdom blooms and the microphone's set just right. Hey, nerds and nerdettes. Welcome to the United Nations podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Nicholson from the great white north of Canada. And with me, as always, from the Midwest United States, Jared Boots. How are you, Jared? Oh, I'm doing well. I am ready to talk about my. F- I'm ready to keep the Universal Monster Train rolling and talk about my favorite Universal Monster film of all time. Awesome! I'm super excited for this as well because this this one is, you know, up there in my in my favorites as well. Absolutely. Well, how about we not hesitate and get to the good stuff? Mm-hmm. So, in the last episode, we celebrated the 90th anniversary of both Dracula and Frankenstein. In this episode, we are celebrating the 80th anniversary of The Wolfman. Starring Mm -hmm. Lon Lon Chaney Jr., Evelyn Ankers, and Claude Rains, and Bella Lugosi. And I know I'm going to butcher her name. I can't even think of her. I can't even think of how to pronounce her first name now. Maria Ospenskaya? Ospens, yeah. Or Ospenska, maybe? I don't know. I don't know how you would pronounce that name. Well, I've had my name butchered for 36 years. Uh, I guess she feels my pain. (laughs) Well, this film came out December 12th, 1941. And... Brief plot, I'll use the word brief in air quotes here for radio. After having spent 18 years in the United States, Larry Talbot returns to his ancestral home in Wales while staying with his father and trying to make amends with him. He meets an array of new people he seems to like. Larry expresses his sorrow over the death of his older brother and heir to the family estate, John. But things take a turn for the worse when he is bitten by a werewolf and becomes one himself. Transformed by a full moon, Larry heads for the forest in a fateful meeting with his father, Sir John, and Gwen Conliffe. So, Melissa, when was the first time you saw the Wolfman, and what were your initial thoughts? First time I saw the Wolfman? Um, maybe around the same time I saw... The Invisible Man, I'm not sure. 
Um, I couldn't pinpoint actually a time when I first saw it, but I know that that when I first saw it, I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was a really fun film. Um, it it had a good balance of sort of the a little bit of darker tones, but then it had, you know, a little bit of lighthearted and um, yeah, I I really I, I really enjoyed it and um, thought it was it was a lot of fun. Neato. <laughs> Um, the first time I saw this film was around the same time, like I mentioned in the last episode, when I was getting that huge kick of uh, Universal Monster films. And when you just look at this stacked cast of all these who's who of horror film icons at the time, it makes you wish that if we would have could have added Colin Clive and Dwight Fry to this mix, it would have been even better. Um Unfortunately, Colin Clive was no longer with us at that time. Or even getting Boris Karloff involved in it, too, would have been great. Um, it was almost like a horror movie. It was like a horror film Avengers. Uh, Universal Avengers at the time. And my, my initial thoughts were, like like I said, it's my favorite of all time, of all the Universal Monster films. And it's so damn entertaining. And like you said, it's, I, I echo every sentiment you said as well. And... Um, I've mentioned with Melissa before off mic about how Creature from the Black Lagoon, I can see how it can be considered a universal monster film, but it has a very different feeling to it. It feels like it, it feels very much of the time of all those universal monster film uh, of all the monster films of that era, like the thing from another world or invasion of the body centers, like those red scare outer space monster films or like even the blob that creature from the black moon feels very much like a different era of these universal monster films but i could still recognize the creature from the lagoon as being one while i think that the wolfman has a very different feeling to it compared to like dracula frankenstein bride of frankenstein but at the same time i feel like the wolfman would still take place in a world where boris karloff's frankenstein and the monster exists. It would still feel like it takes place in a world where Bella Lugosi's Dracula would still exist, where Claude Rains' Invisible Man would still exist, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely it is. Maybe it's just like a progression of time, so we are talking 10 years later. Um, so it has, and it also, this one also takes place in a more modern setting modern for the time it's a very uh we mentioned in the drac dracula frankenstein episode last week about how if you want to do like a more modernized frankenstein you have to have to find like a timeless setting i think this this movie has that very timeless setting you know it, it takes place in a time after dracula after frankenstein after the invisible man but it takes place in a more modern so not quite our time it doesn't i don't think it take quite takes place in the 40s or even the 30s, but it takes place in a time where we're still using carriages and horses and vehicles. So, like, we were, uh, maybe 20s or 30s, it could take place in, but it could, it could also pass for 40s, like 40s in Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Any favorite scenes from this film, Melissa? 
I... Well, I mean, there's so many. I really... I do really enjoy at the beginning when... Um, Larry is is interacting with his father and they're um, looking at the, the telescope and he's kind of making those little um, sort of repairs and looking at it and things like that. And, and just how, um, you know, at first he's, you know, he's looking through it to make sure everything's kind of working. And then he, he's, you know, looking around at, at the little town village around him and, um, you know, how he just so innocently, like, looks at the girl through the window and, and you know, kind of knows the small details. And it's just, it's, I don't know, there's there's not a, there's not even a level of creepiness to it. It's just, it's so charming and innocent because he's just like, he, you can kind of tell he's kind of smitten about her and, and it's just, I don't know, I, <laughs> I think he's really cute. And so then, like, he, you know, so yeah, that's one of my, my favorite scenes. I mean, there's... You know, the one that comes to mind is is kind of the one that kind of makes me laugh a little bit. <laughs> I, I would say what's charming about it is how he's able to talk himself out of it. Yeah. When he goes when he goes over to the store and like admits that he was, or I think it was later in the evening when they go to see uh, the gypsies to get their fortunes told, that he admits that yeah he was looking through the window at her through the telescope and he's able to describe the describe the earrings that she was wearing to her up in her bedroom uh, it's like it's got that level of creepiness but i was joking today with my buddy mikey i'm like he uh lon chain jr's larry talbot is so smooth with uh evelyn anchors as gwen in this film like he is smooth he gets him he gets himself in these precarious situations with her but he's able to like just sweet talk his way out of it and it works Somehow, and I'm like, I, I go, I think I joke with Mike. I'm like, I would read a date, a guide to dating by Larry Talbot. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, how do you sweet talk your way out of these random situations, man? And like, he does it so well, too. He does. Like, it's like the big, lovable OU. Yeah, it, absolutely. Like, he's just, he, he plays that, that, you know, and, and that's another th- one where it's so genuine. It's it's not overplayed. It's not overdone. It's it is so genuine. Like he's just so freaking like he said so smooth about it, you know. In the in the sense of him getting himself out of these things and and I mean like he he has that way of like it's just like he can you know just he regular guy whatever like they're you know who's got such a charm about him that you just. Yeah, you know, <laughs> he can, he can, you know, forgive him for whatever, and and I, I can't remember like if he, he saw her through the window, but it was because he was, there was something with the telescope or whatever that he was, oh, I was, it was just this that there wasn't any, you know, thing, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't being, whatever, and but yeah, he's just got that that smoothness and that. She just lays on the charm, and it's just—I <laughs> love that. But the, but the 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 initial like looking around and then sees the girl, and it's just ah. <laughs> he was aligning something in the telescope. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's almost like 
the random lines that guys use at bars to pick up women like well he goes tells her later on well i'm, I'm a psychic or i could tell your fortune and, <laughs> uh, so, so he's like using all these pickup lines like, like anything a guy will say to impress a woman yeah <laughs> and he, how insistent he is oh i'll be here at eight no i'll be i'll be here today see you at eight, see you at eight. <laughs> <laughs> Persistent. <laughs> I mean, he just flew, he just flew into town that day too. So. Exactly, and he's already getting himself a date. Like, wow, <laughs> breaks the land speed record for that one. Yeah. <laughs> and even that, he lands himself a date with an engaged woman. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Smooth operator. <laughs> so what, I, what, what's your uh, favorite scene of, of the film? I have quite a few, but I think one of the ones that stands up to me most is when they go to the gypsy camp to get um, his for, their fortunes read. And um, I can't remember what film I saw it in. It's going to drive me nuts now. And probably till the time we hit step record where there is a film and in the background, they were watching the wolf man. And it was the scene where Jack or Bill Lugosi is talking to Jennifer, uh, Gwen's friend, yes. her fortune. Yeah. And he, he mentions the left hand shows your past, the right hand shows your future. And then the pentagram shows up in her hand. It's gonna drive me nuts. What film that? I want to say it was House of a Thousand Corpses. Somebody mm. feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. I'm, I I've been told I'm Mr. IMDb. I'm willing to bet it was House of a Thousand Corpses. I'm gonna look it up when we're done. And I'm gonna laugh if I'm right. <laughs> but I remember, and I I'm such a huge fan of Bela Lugosi that I like the first like first handful of times I watched this film I latched onto him like oh this is great like we get Dracula and the Wolfman same film essentially and he and it, we talk about in the Dracula episode how some performances were very play acting style like the way Dracula speaks I never drink what in this film he's speaking more fluent what lines we get from him he speaks more fluently it's like i will not disappoint you my lady and just you need to go now like he it's more like i say he found his groove but he's such that good of an actor that it's you don't see dracula when you see him as bella the gypsy in this film mm-hmm. but it's such an iconic part of the film in my eyes because it was the first thing I saw when I watched when I saw it in the background of a film and then when I saw this film proper for the first time and when I got that scene I was like oh that's the scene that's where this movie that's where that scene is from like alright cool and because no one Bela Lugosi did like a million and a half horror films between the 30s and 50s mm-hmm. and um, getting so excited to see that scene proper for the first time and that just that image of the uh pentagram in the woman's hand like pretty good graphics for 1940s and we're telling 
I was talking to we were talking in the last episode about how when you're studying films like this or you're studying something for a podcast or YouTube channel, whatever, what have you, and you you're studying it for that a specific purpose like that, you start to notice things more. And I told Melissa, I've watched Wolfman hundred times it feels like in the last 10 years but i never noticed the pentagram scar being on bella the gypsy's forehead when he's reading the fortune to jennifer mm. it shows up then it disappears and i'm like i never noticed that before I'm like but i guess there's just things you notice more when you're trying to pay attention to something yeah i i would say so because like you know, when you're you're watching a movie in general and you kind of, you know, you may get distracted by different things or whatever, but you're still sort of paying attention. But for this and a different thing, it's, you know, you're watching for a purpose. You notice the little details and things. And and I think, too, it's it's a film that you, there's so many things that even if you're 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 watching without a purpose, just for the purpose of entertainment, you you may still pick out things. That you might have missed before, but you've seen it so many times and you've missed it and you finally notice it. So I think it's that too. Um, any other particular scenes you like in this film? Um, I mean, they're. I mean, they, you know, the transformation scene is, is you know, seems pretty cool. Like, it's just so. Sort of, I don't know, it's not, maybe not subtle, but it's just, it's so just fluid, it seems. Like, it's just, like, it just happens and you see it switch and change and, um, yeah, so, that like, that, that is, is pretty cool. I don't, I don't know about any other, like, uh, specific scenes, because I just, they're, they're all so good. The, the only one that, that really... Like the the one that stands out for me is like at the, the beginning of the the film with the telescope and just laying on all that charm and it's just <laughs> I don't know to me it's just it's really really funny so I feel like I could just pick scenes out all night like picking apples out of a tree like <sighs> like Larry going to church with his father and everybody looking back at him or I really like the scene when he. I think it's probably his second transformation when he's running through the woods and he gets the his leg caught in the bear trap and mm-hmm. um, Gypsy Lady comes and finds him and sets him free and yeah. able to she's able to lift this curse off him quite a bit and it's almost like it was like Larry, you dumbass, you should have kept the pentagram medallion on. You wouldn't have these problems and yeah. blah 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 and and she, whenever, every time she says the poem that she says to Bella later on in the film, after well, we we didn't bore the lead, uh, bury the lead, Bella the gypsy is the werewolf that bites Larry, mm-hmm. and he kills Bella the gypsy while she's atta- while he's attacking Jenny, so passing the curse on to Larry, and then you hear the the road you walked was thorny through no fault of your own, um, says that to Bella. Then she says it to says it to uh, Larry what twice throughout the rest of the film. Yeah, 
And I believe both times she says it is when the curse lifts off of Larry. Mm. And I, I do, I, I do kind of find it interesting that, you know, his, his father is so uh, is casual. The word, like, he's just so casual about the, the situation. Like he's, you know, he he tries to help him by, you know, tying him down and whatever, and not, you know, you know, to, to maybe keep him there in one spot and just, I don't know. It's just he he's so. He's very, very calm about it, which is kind of interesting, and it's it's not a reaction that you'd you'd expect. So that that one that is I don't know. It's somewhat fascinating to me that he's just okay. He's just kind of like he he's helping his son along, and but then he he also he I mean he he accepts it, but then he also in the beginning kind of shrugs it off a little bit, but then realizes that it's very real, and he's very quick to accept. Too and I, and and I do find it like another scene I can think of too is like when he's, you know, it had been three years or something since they had seen each other or something and Eight, eighteen eighteen years that's it three I I don't know why three came up in my head but it was just it's an amount of a significant amount of time since they had seen each other and that the fact that a death brought them together. And it's just that that's kind of interesting to me. Like uh, something kind of extreme like that brought brought them back together again. And they seem to get along fine, you know. So, yeah, that, that, that's another one I could think of, too. Well, you could tell throughout the film that there is a strange relationship there. Yeah. And they're both making strides to try to patch that. And you're right, like. Um, Claude's uh, Sir John does kind of like just brush off the fact of where like lycanthropy and all it's nonsense. It's nonsense. It's it's all mental and all this stuff. And he's trying to brush off, brush off, brush off. And it's not almost until the very end of the film when he has that running with Larry in his Wolfman form, and he ends up eventually killing him with Larry's walking stick. That uh. It becomes clear to Sir John, and even with the gypsy telling him, it, this, is, this is Larry's not telling the truth. Nobody seems to believe Larry. I, was, I believe it's when Larry goes to talk to Gwen, and he goes, Why does everybody assume I'm the crazy one? Mm-hmm. And But you do see that going back to the relationship between Sir John and Larry, it's like you do see the care for a father and son, and even to the point where. Towards the end of the film, he's like, Father, please, Dad, please help mm-hmm. me. And you can see that concern when he ties him to the chair and everything. And so, he, while the relationship is strained, you still get that, you still get the sense that Sir John does care for Larry. Yeah. But, he's, yeah. He, he's not fully disconnected from him, even if they hadn't seen each other for the, that, that period of time. But, yeah. Um, yeah, you, you do see you do see that caring like he's okay. He's willing to to help. He's not going to continue to to brush him off and you know think it's ridiculous. And they they do uh, in the 2010 remake with Benicio del Toro and um, Anthony Hopkins as John and Larry. Like you get that relation, get that strained relationship in that film too. But 
it has a bigger twist. It plays a bigger twist into the overall plot than this film does. But I do, I do like this one. It's not like Sir John's distant and cold to Larry. It's just like he's very like nonsense, nonsense, nonsense. While we're on the subject of performances, um, we talked about in the last episode how sympathetic Boris Karloff's portrayal of, of the monster is. On a scale of like one to ten, when it comes to creatures you feel sorry for, with like one being Freddy Krueger and ten being the creature, where do you think uh, uh, Lon Chaney's Larry Talbot falls? I think he he's somewhere in the middle. Um, maybe I'm gonna put him right smack dab at like a five. <laughs> um. Because he's he's you know for for the person that you you get to know at first you know with the, such charm and charisma and you know just just being a genuinely you know seems to be a pretty nice person um, a genuine down to earth person and you know for for what happens to him you you do kind of feel you you feel bad for him like you you feel like you know, of of all people, why did it did it have to end up being him? And you know, it's yeah. Like I I don't know if I really feel genuinely like as sympathetic as I as I would the creature. Um, but you know, you you I still feel like he's you know you you still feel for him. You know, um, but but. He's he's in the middle of of that sort of you you feel for him but you you also not not that you don't but it's it's not as um it, not as imp- impactful as say the creature. I can I can agree to that, but I lean more to the angle of like I'd say he's like more of a seven or an eight. Mm. Because they set him up as like this lovable goofball when you first meet him. But then as the film goes on, once he's bitten by Bella, and the more and more confused he is about what's going on, he's got the Scotland Yard accusing him of things he doesn't do. And why is it like it says, why is everybody assuming I'm the crazy one? Like mm-hmm. I I tell you I killed a wolf and like, oh no, you didn't, or we saw a man's body there. Like, well it and then, like when you, the scene with the church, or when people are just treating this man so poorly, yet you think he went to the aid of Jenny. He sticks up for Gwen when the mothers are accusing Gwen to her father, um, or when at the scene at the carnival when was is it Frank or Franklin? That's Gwen's fiance's name. Yeah. Uh, when they're at the shooting gallery and Larry just can't bring himself to shoot the the wolf on there, and like just that look on his face is just like oh, yeah. Like it's it has that effect. It's almost like a a form of post traumatic stress. Plus, you got to throw in the fact that he's still grieving for the loss of his brother, mm-hmm. trying to mend a mend a broken relationship with his father, and going through on top of everything else on top of this. this is, it's not like they establish. It's like when you watch like a modern slasher movie and you have all these 
you get those the typical teenage kids and they make them drinking and doing drugs and just make them little assholes yeah. to the point where you don't care when Jason or Freddie shows up to take care of these, like the waste them. You're like, you don't care. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like they set out Larry to be this horrible person. So when he gets bit by Bella, like, Oh, he had screw him. He deserves it. Um, and I think it really reaches that tipping point when before that last encounter with him and his father and Gwen, when he is asking, he's like, Dad, he finally says, Dad, please, and being tied to the chair, like, don't leave me, stay with me. Like this poor guy. Yeah. And he does such a a perfect like his facial expressions are so well, like he just he plays confused. And sympathetic, like genuine, like confused, like what is going, what is going, what is happening to me? I don't know what's happening to me, mm-hmm. but it's, it, but it's in a different, with the, with the monster, it's like what's happening. My brain, this is all new to me. What is happening? Yeah. More launch or Larry's is like, what is happening to me? What can I do? Like, how do I do that? there's no way out and and you realize that's like the only way like when he Gwen says she'll run away with him like oh you don't want to run away with a murderer like yeah. you need to stay away from me and all this stuff and he just portrays it it's not like I agree with you it's not as quite as sympathetic as Boros Karloff's monster yeah but the same but he's also getting treated like an outsider to all the all the people in this town in Wales as well yeah, like he's suddenly he's, you know, sort of a respected person, citizen, whatever, and then he's suddenly completely different and shut out. And well, oh, it's not even that. He's almost unwelcome as soon as he comes in. Yeah. Uh, well, you get the guy that gives him the ride in the car that takes him to his father's house. Like his father makes him feel welcome, and he starts to warm up to Gwen. And then Jenny, and then, uh, then he like making a good impression on Gwen's father, and trying to with like the guy that, um, the lawn keeper at his father's estate, or Frank, like trying to keep good standing with him, and trying to cooperate with Scotland Yard and the psychiatrist. It's like all this stuff, but then he have the interaction with Jenny's mother and the other women that are with him, and. These people who are casting him out without even knowing him. Just because he was there with Jenny and Gwen. Well, their anger wasn't really directed at him at first. It's more they're trying to shame Gwen for even being there with a being an engaged woman there being there and leaving Jenny alone. And then Larry comes to her aid. But it's like they from that point they like, oh, you're not from around here. You haven't been back in twenty years. And then you get the gossiping about him at the church too, from the same woman. Yeah. So he's an outsider already. And now he's been cursed. Mm-hmm. So he's just it's almost like he lost he lost his brother. Now he's an outsider living with his family with a strained relationship with his father. And now he's been cursed. So it's like <clears throat> when it rains, it pours almost for this poor guy. 
And we've all been there. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, it's it's it, yeah, it's just almost like what 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 else could happen? You know, you got so much piled on already and that's kind of the, the figurative cherry on top of everything. And so yeah, like I, I'm, I'm still keeping it at a at a five because I, I can't. I mean, I can, I can definitely sympathize with him, absolutely. But I think, you know, for me, I, I full on sympathize with with the creature. I don't know, there's just <laughs> something a little, a little bit more there. But you, you do feel bad for him, and because you just, you, you absolutely love him from the start, and, and then. You know, you you still kind of do because he's because you you know you feel for him and you just you know you you almost feel a bit helpless as a, as a viewer and it's only a movie where you just you want to help him you you want to like get him out of the situation and you know you can't so it's just you you just you're sat there sort of really feeling for him so yeah. And I want to say, I want to, I have a kind of a thing for classical beauty and actresses. And I want to say like an appreciation shout out to Evelyn Akers as a uh, Gwen. So beautiful. Mm. This film. When I think back at like classical actresses like this, I'm not going to think to like Betty Davis or, or a lot of some of the other ones that other people would. Mm. But I'm going to think back at Evelyn Akers as Gwen. I'm going to think back on Christine McIntyre, who I saw in quite a few uh, Three Stooges shorts back in the uh, 40s, 50s era. Um, or even 60s, like Yvonne DiCarlo as Lily Munster, or Carolyn Jones as uh, Morticia Adams. Sorry, my my brain went off the rails there for just a split second. But, but when I look at uh, Evelyn Anchors, just... Sheer beauty when I look at her, she kept like I had my attention every time she's on screen, and she like you can tell why Larry would fall for her mm-hmm. at first sight. And um, and you mentioned like how it seems so natural for them for those two of them. And when you read an IMDb trivia, those two did not get along at all, really, but they perform it so well. Well, I read an IMDb, IMDb, IMDb trivia, and I think our friends Robert and Anthony mentioned on their review of the Wolf Man how. Lana Chain did not like that his dressing room was given to her because mm. we mentioned his drinking problems. So he was destructing, he was destroying property at the studio and stuff. Mm. He's causing uh, destruction. So they gave her dressing room to him. So he, he kind of resented her for that. Um, but he'd always like sneak up on her when he's wearing the makeup and stuff and all those stuff and scare the shit out of her while on set. But I think back. There's been lots of actors and actress combos that they don't get along, but they still turn in good performances. Like the first example that popped into my head was uh, Chevy Chase and Bill Murray in uh, Caddyshack. Those two classically did not get along. It's well known that those two didn't get along, mm. but they had to have that scene of them together in Caddyshack. And while it is a very good scene, it you can kind of maybe just a tiny bit 
pickup that's kind of forced. Like it's like it's two guys. Okay, we're doing this because we've been told we had to do this scene together. Mm-hmm. But they, I guess they're very they're still professional. It's still a very entertaining scene in the film. But this one, the the chemistry, much like the 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 comedic chemistry between um, Murray and Chevy Chase was very strong in that scene. But you look at the romantic chemistry between Gwen and Larry throughout this whole film, and it's like you can't even tell these two did not get along offset. So a couple yeah. of real couple of real pros in that mindset where they could still create that illusion of chemistry, mm-hmm. but not get along once the cameras stopped. Yeah, absolutely. I th- I think that's amazing because it you really, I, I personally can't tell. It, it's just they they play it so well, and it it really. You know, it, it doesn't make you think at all that they wouldn't have got along, uh, uh, like, off-camera, you know, when the cameras weren't on. Um, that's, you know, that's really amazing. And definitely, you know, you know they're they're good at their craft when, you know, they can pull that off so so brilliantly well. Yeah, you know, like, a lot of times you think of uh, another, I guess, pop culture ref. Maybe, maybe Chevy Chase and Bill Murray was a bad example. But um, Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepherd in Moonlighting in the late '80s, two characters I did, two people I guess didn't get along offset, but did when the cameras were rolling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's just you know amazing, and it and it really shows you know the the you know professionalism and just you know how good actors can be. You know when when called upon and when they when they got to be, you know, on their game and and do it so. You know, there, I think there's a, I don't know, maybe does it take a certain person? I don't know to play that genuinely and not be, you know, to kind of remove your 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 personal thoughts and put just character thoughts in your head, and play it straight without it being forced, you know, like it, it, you know, it's got to take a lot, but pull it off flawlessly. At the end of the day, a job's a job. You're not there to make friends. You're there to make money. Absolutely. So So that, that again makes sense. (laughs) Gives them a lot of credit to those two actors for may not, may not have got along off camera, but make like a, a, a believable, couple on screen or like the flirtation between them the the tent, romantic tension between them was very real and very believable throughout the whole film from the first time larry sees her and talks to her to larry dying in front of her at the end of the film it's you believe it's like a couple that could happen mm-hmm. absolutely i agree i i absolutely agree well, where does this film rank on your uh, list of Universal Monster films? Hmm. Well, it's in, Invisible Man is definitely um, number one. Um, hands freaking down. <laughs> that mm. that one is my my absolute favorite. Um, this one, it's tough because like I can. You know, I th- I think I I you know when I sort of ranked them, you know previously and um, 
you know, I think, I think it, it's, yeah, it's got to be, it, yeah, number two. I got to put it number two in, in like Dracula third. It's got to be that, that top three. Well, this one, like I've said it a couple times already, I think in this episode, like Wolfman's my number one for when it comes to Universal Monster films. It's like half the field away ahead of Invisible Man, which is my number two. Uh, I just love this one so much. The, the plot, the story, the characters, it's the pace of the film alone. It, for an hour and ten long, minute long, an hour and ten minute film, this thing just books. It doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It, it it just keeps you engaged throughout. And it, it really doesn't feel like a, a significant amount of time has passed. Like it, it feels like five minutes. Yeah. I told you when I was watching in between periods of a hockey game during the intermission report and after about 10 my hockey game got done with doing that, those pauses. So I get what 15 minutes of viewing in, in between periods. And by the time I finished the movie proper, it, I realized I didn't have much of the film left by the time the third period and overtime was done. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, like this movie just moves on. Like, wow, an hour and 10 minutes already? Holy crap. Mm-hmm. Like, I've seen things a lot shorter. feel like they have lasted a lot longer. Yeah. Like, I enjoyed Nosferatu, but if you're going to watch a silent film, you need to have your attention locked on the whole time. Like, you need to be paying attention the whole time. It has to be something to keep your attention the whole time. Absolutely. It's but then it's it's such a a visual thing. It's it's not so much a you know you, you can't you can't exactly you know put it on as background <laughs> and be listening to dialogue. You know. <laughs> Man, this this organ score is badass. <laughs> <laughs> you know so. It's it's definitely you you gotta be be watching and, and paying attention to that, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Wolfman comes highly recommended from us and Melissa's number two, my number one. So just like last episode, we're gonna get into a few more generate a little more discussion with some questions. So the first one I have is does Lon Cheney's juniors I put in quotes, non-painful transition into the Wolfman. Have any impact 80 years later, given the advance in technique and technology? Because you look at Larry's transition, it's not a painful transition. No. And like like I kind of highlighted, like it was, it's such a, a fluid thing. Like it just sort of. You see it happening, but it's just it just kind of happens. Like there's no, you know, you're not really seeing any reaction or anything. It's just it just happens, and suddenly he's he's Wolfman, um, and I and I think it 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 has, um, you know, inspired, you know, and influenced other films and things for different for creating different effects and transforming somebody into somebody else or something or. Um, I, I think it certainly has. I mean, um, you know, it, it, it's that early, you know, the early special effects and, and, you know, I, it's, you know, I can't, I can't think of any off the top of my head that probably would have been inspired by, but I'm, I'm sure there certainly has. And like for the technology of changing people and, and, things like that too it's i'm sure it's 
um, you know, had it had its influence. Well, it seems to me like at least as early as I can remember as American World from London in 1981 and the howling, it seems like ever since then they have to show a werewolf, somebody transitioning into a werewolf as being a very painful experience. Yeah. Face extending, bones cracking, skin tearing, like all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you get up in like Trick or Treat, which came out in 2007, where the women turn in the world, they made it more of like a sensual thing. Mm-hmm. But it seems like the play, the, the thing to do has just been the, 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 uh, uh, make it a painful experience. That's why I use the uh, air quotes of non painful because it's, they just lean the hell out of that fade. Add a little bit of the, of the hair fade to the next transition yeah. of him just gradually getting hairier and his face changing. But even the remake, the 2010 remake, they focus on the uh, the quote unquote painful transition into being a werewolf. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen, I haven't gotten a chance to see Ginger Snaps yet, which is something that's been on my list of like werewolf films, but to check out. And but even in Monster Squad, I. I really think Monster Squad's Wolfman's really been the... I, I love the film, don't get me wrong, but I want to say it's probably, like, the weakest... Uh, I think we've agreed that it was, like, the weakest Wolfman. Yeah. I think we've seen. Um, and it really... If it, if it wasn't for the Wolfman's got Nards line, I really think that Wolfman would be very forgettable in that film. Um, and a lot of it's because the guy, the actor that plays Dracula in Monster Squad just owns the screen when he's on there. Mm-hmm. But uh, so what really else is like the most memorable thing about Monster Squad's Wolfman is Wolfman's got nards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it just, yeah, it, it diff- I would agree with that, but it's, it's one of the weaker, weaker ones. And, and yeah, it's, I think, you know, when they're, when they're going for the, you know, the painful thing, it's, it's almost like they're, it's trying to make it like natural, like what it may have, like in a sort of a little bit more realistic way. If you know, <laughs> you know, were to happen, like you know, what what would somebody be feeling? What would you know, what going on in that moment as you you know transforming into something else? And I, I think it it kind of makes it a little bit more real than. Oh, you're suddenly, you know, a creature. You're suddenly something else. Um, I think it it makes it a little bit more believable that way. Yeah, I agree. And uh, so I wonder if really the technology of the time made it non-painful. Like, you know, you got the makeup techniques back then. Probably like, they don't really show uh, the, biggest, the biggest difference besides Lon Chaney's face turning into the wolf is uh, his feet. I mean, his feet, his his normal human feet, just transition. That do that fade transition into the walking on his tiptoes. Those boots that he wore, those awkward boots that he had to wear for the Wolfman toes, the Wolfman feet. Like that's probably the most they show us. Mm-hmm. Until the end, when he dies, and you see the reverse fade of him coming back to being Larry. Mm-hmm. So, do you think there could be a place for a? a a non-painful werewolf transition. It, it doesn't seem like I've only seen videos making fun of Twilight. So those are 
very CG like transitions, aren't they? So it's like not painful at all. Oh like. yeah, it's. I mean, I, I honestly, I've only, I've unfortunately uh, seen just the first film, um, so I haven't seen the other ones. But I'm sure it's like just quick. Like there's nothing to it. <laughs> like it's just okay, boom, whatever. They're they're a wolf, whatever. Like it's you know. Uh, guy, if you're listening, uh, the Creep Show holiday special with the Were Cheetah, the Werewolf, the Were Tortoise. I don't think those transitions like were portrayed as painful either. Like that, these people going through like a excruciating amount of pain to transform into their lycanthrope uh, forms either. Or I'm trying to remember the 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 segment of Creep Show also with the Nazi werewolves. I can't remember if they had like a trend painful transmissions for that too i need to rewatch creep show so jeremy and guy if you're listening feel free to get a hold of me and let me know if i am remembering wrong but we're even i think of uh dark Shad- tim burton's dark shadows again with uh chloe grace moretz's character turning into a werewolf you don't really even see that you just see her in a room and she's like partially transformed mm-hmm. or or even in the monsters whenever eddie turns into a wolf he, it doesn't seem like it's a painful transition no, absolutely not. It's it's a sort of a flawless uh, transition into into something else. Um, yeah. So I guess it's, it doesn't always it doesn't always be shown with the the person going through an excruciating amount of pain, but it 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 can work both ways. Exactly, I, I think it absolutely can. So moving on. Is it easier to adapt a werewolf film in modern times or in general because you're f- focused on a creature more than a specific character such as Dracula or Frankenstein's monster? Yes. I think so. Because I, I feel like the perfect example is an American werewolf in London. Um, sort of in the, you know, not not really absolutely modern, but just a little bit more modern setting and he, you know, has his, his, you know, he gets bitten and all that stuff. And, you know, he's sort of in the, the, you know, regular world and he's dealing with this and he's interacting with others. And it's (laughs) like that, that's, um, you know, that, that's where I think it can work at, at any point in time, really. Because it, it, it is, it's just, it's a creature. It's not, it, it's not somebody like, you know, you're not creating a, a human, reanimating a human life. You're not, you don't have a vampire or whatever. Like it would just, for those, it would be sort of a little out of place. Um, but for a werewolf, I think it can be really at any point in time that, that it could really work. Or it just be maybe not a specific point in time, but a timeless point of time well i'm not the question's not specifically aimed at a time period if it, if a wolfman film will work in a specific time period it's more of the fact where if you do dracula you're focused on the character dracula himself but is it easier to make a werewolf film because there is no established the wolfman it's not like every it's not like david the it's not like the farmer 
that bit David and turned him into Werewolf in America. London Wolf of London is a descendant from Lon Chaney Jr.'s uh, Wolfman. Yeah. Much like how we discussed the last episode of the Gar, or are all vampires descendant of Dracula? So that's, I guess, that's the point I was trying to make. Is it's easier to make a werewolf film because you're not focused on a specific character like Frankenstein's monster, like Dracula. I, so, I still say yeah. <laughs> essentially, like lycanthropy is just a, a curse that's passed from person to person. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not a it's not a specific person where you can have, you know, potentially a descendant of. It's just something that goes on from from each person. So yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's- when you take that focus away, like bring it back to Blade Trinity from uh, last episode, how when they inject Dracula with the I'm really good, sunshine virus, I think it was called, or something like that, where it's going to, or I think they called it sunlight or something like that, where they kill Dracula, they get rid of every vampire in the world. It's not like you say, well, if we kill this werewolf, this specific werewolf, we're going to get rid of them all. Mm-hmm. Essentially, all you're going to do, like, like they touch on American Werewolf in London, how um, if uh, David kills himself, then uh, he's going to set free all the souls of p- people he's killed. Mm-hmm. Or um, was it the Howling? I don't remember the Howling, where essentially like it is a bite and it just keeps passing and passing itself along. And then D Wallace ends up having herself destroyed at the end of the show. While one of the people that converted one of the werewolves that was in the commune after the film found that she survived mm-hmm. or, uh, in the Tim Burton's dark shadows remake, we don't know where Chloe Grace Moretz's character gets the werewolf stuff from. I never watched the, the soap opera dark shadows. So I'm sure if it comes from that, respectfully withdrawn but it's not like i say hey if we kill butch patrick if we kill eddie munster then we're going to get rid of every werewolf around so maybe that's why it's easier just to do anything with werewolves and then it seems like werewolves walk hand in hand with nazis a lot too it seems like anymore yeah i believe they were called wolves weren't they yeah oh anyway. And I haven't, like I said, I haven't gotten a chance to see Ginger Snaps yet, so I don't get the premise of that. But uh, and Trick or Treat, the segment of the werewolves in that one, just like its own standalone thing. Hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's always a, a different um, different interpretation of of creatures and how they they change and and become the creature, and it's. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's it's always its own entity. It's never connecting to anything else. I, I find that interesting, and it seems to be mostly with like the werewolf. Well, while we're on the subject, uh, with the success of uh, the Invisible Man coming out in twenty twenty from Blumhouse. Um, is there something that it's been announced that there's going to be a Wolfman movie now written by Leo Wannell, who did the invisible man starring Ryan Gosling. Um, is there something different in the werewolf mythology you'd like to see tackled in the Blumhouse Wolfman film? Um, 
I don't know. Um, I can't. I can't really think of anything off the top of my head that they like it was something different that they could um, explore. Um, I I kind of feel like now I haven't seen the late this the Invisible Man um, film, but I guess it, it really doesn't connect up to like. It has really nothing to do with the Invisible Man original film. So, I don't know, I can kind of see them doing sort of the same thing with Wolfman. Like, not so much retelling the story, but making it their own entity, however they may present this character. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's, it's good. It didn't make my top ten, but it's entertaining uh they essentially modernized the invisible man i have my my quips with the movie but uh it's good but it doesn't to me it doesn't hold a candle to claude reigns yeah but it's it'd be like comparing apples to oranges I, i would say but um something i would like to see done with this new wolfman film is uh it seems like lycanthropy in a lot of these films almost walks hand in hand in a way with schizophrenia and these people who are convinced they are werewolves, they're treated like they're crazy. Is it all in their head? Are they doing it for real? Even, even in the remake, it's like the same 2010 remake. It's like that too, though. They're trying to convince Del Toro that he's crazy and like, all oh, you, you're seeing things, you're schizophrenic. I would like to actually see them take the approach where it is in Ryan Gosling's head. Mm. But, but of course, mental health is not funny. Mm-hmm. I would like to see it treated sincerely, almost like a, a beautiful mind. Yeah. But I'd like to see it approached with care. Mm. Where he really thinks that these these things are happening to him, but it, it's really not. Or like American Psycho. Oh, yeah. He's convinced that he's doing all these things, but it, he's not. And um, there's, I looked up, so they bring up Larry's mental health a lot in this film. They bring it, it's brought up in American Wolf in London. It's brought up in, um, well, there you'd say that he's crazy in the Monster Squad. It's brought up in the 2010 remake that Larry, that Larry is crazy. Um, but if, when I read an IMDb for the 1941 Wolfman, is that in the original script, the physical transformation is left ambiguous, and the Wolfman never appeared on screen mm. to really make it think like it was maybe it was all happening in Larry's head. Yeah. Instead of tiptoeing around that, I would like to see that be the plot but Mm -hmm. you do see the wolfman because he's having these visions or hallucinations that he is committing he's killing people or what have you but don't treat it like he's a don't treat like he's like a a cartoon inmate at arkham asylum in batman's Mm -hmm. universe yeah treat it with sincerity that this man is sick and he needs help and he does not know what's happening to him and mm-hmm. getting the help. 
And I think that could go hand in hand very well with what I Blumhouse has only put out one Universal Monster film at this time in this aspect. So I would whenever that we get to see this Blumhouse film, this is what I'd like to see. It. I I've like talk about man and when Robert Nintia from Pods Monsters were on our show back when we talked about Beetlejuice, me and Robert briefly mentioned it and and I told Melissa off air, I'm like, well, it's going to be very much like Johnny Depp and Sleepy Hollow or Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man. Like, you are not, you're paying all this money for Ryan Gosling. You're not going to keep his face covered up like most of that movie. There's no way you're going to, no way you're going to do that. If you're paying all that money for him, you're going to get all the women to come watch him in this film. There's no way you're going to keep his face covered through half of this movie. Absolutely, yeah. So it it it's it, it's intriguing. Um, definitely intriguing as to the what they're what they could possibly do with it. Um, yeah, I I really hope that it's yeah with like you said like the, the like the mental health piece and that it, it is done respectfully and and done in a way that. You know that it's not disrespecting anybody. It's you know being very respectful and, and mindful of it, and um, so yeah, it, it can be. It's going to be interesting what they what they come up with. Um, yeah, it, it's. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I love the the original films, and they just it, it's tough when when you're recreating such a classic film and. You know, I, I feel like they're gonna very much just do their own thing with it. I don't feel like it's gonna be a retelling, um, but I, I hope they do it in a good way. That, that's kind of my thought. Is um, you know, is, is is I hope it turns out to be a a decent thing. So, well, Blumhouse so far seemed to write the the course correct the ship with. Tom Cruise's mummy not performing the way they wanted to. Blumhouse does seem like a good option, dude, because they're notorious for making a lot of films that are very low budget that bring in a lot of money in the box office. Well, I'm also they look like show your kids the original. Show them the 2010 remake. Uh, it technically considered a flop because they didn't make all of its money back, but it still did very well, and I enjoyed it. I don't love it as much as I love the original, but I still enjoy it. Mm. I found it very entertaining, and it's got a good cast, and I also forgot to mention Hugo Weaving is in it, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rick Baker, Monster Maker, won an Oscar for makeup in the 2010 Wolfman film. And mm. That make makeup pays homage to Lon Chaney's makeup, actually. Mm. I think it's quite cool. Yeah, definitely. So I think we can, um, you know, at this point, I think we can bring it on home. But do we have any further thoughts? Or have we expressed all of them? <laughs> uh, Wolfman's my favorite Universal Horror movie. Go see it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm... I endorse that thought. <laughs> Absolutely, see it. It's it's such a fun, fun film, and um, 
Yeah, it, it's it's the quickest hour and uh, hour and ten minutes you'll ever experience. So um, definitely watch it. And you can have a nice little long marathon of Universal. You can have a Universal monster movie marathon, and it would barely take up a chunk of your day. <laughs> that every minute would be worth it. I I agree. So, uh, Melissa, where can the listeners keep up with you? They can keep up with me on Instagram um, at MissMelissaN25. Um, I also have a drawing page where I post all kind of drawings and art and doodles and things that I do. And it's called Scribbles of a Wannabe Drawer. So you can follow me on those. And where can they find you, Jared? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at QCA underscore Mista underscore J. Um, you can also, I know I've been teasing it for a while and it's still coming soon, is a Two Aging Bearded Nerds on YouTube where my friend Mikey and I review all those movies when uh, studios do not give a crap about scaring your kids. So I'll look for that coming soon. Um, the podcast as a whole, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, your United Nations podcast. And if you want to interact with the show, feel free to send us an email at nerdnightnationspodcast at gmail.com. Awesome. And if you, um, if you obviously you want to uh, listen to us as a podcast, you can find us on Podbean, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and also now iHeartRadio. And I'm on all of those platforms, you can um rate us review us um that really if you could do that that would be really appreciated as it helps us be a little bit be a little bit more noticed within the the podcast community and uh be sure to come back next time where we're taking a break from the monsters for a while and we'll be welcoming our friend tim rooney to the show for the first time So be sure you pay attention to our social media for when that comes out. And uh, thank you for listening. And uh, here we are still halfway, still over. It's been a little over a year at this point now. The world's still kind of scary. But uh, always remember, be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes. See you next time. The thoughts and opinions expressed by your ambassadors and their guests are theirs and theirs alone. And do not represent the companies they happen to work for. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, guys.